This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Jetson's there. Billy did. The goal. Chris Billy Huddersfield Town. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2, Huddersfield Town. Rupi and Steve Simonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simonson clears the frame of the goal and collapses in a heap of tears. Huddersfield Town are promoted. Stiffer Schindler. A chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend. And he takes that chance! Hello and welcome to episode 115 of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast. This past week, chairman and owner Phil Hodgkinson made a triumphant return to the airwaves via Radio Leeds. We'll discuss the main talking points from that interview conducted by Catherine Hanna and Stephen Chicken. Uh, later, Town visited the Potteries, looking to make it four wins in a row, but fell to defeat after a winning goal by Johan Cruyff. Uh, Town were denied three points, but in this episode, we have three gents ready to run the rule over the game in the previous week. Not in the potting shed or sauna, it's Dan Porritt. And with the shaggy dark mop, it's Harry Potter, aka Simon Copland. And I'm your host, the crackpot, Matt Shaw. How are we doing, guys? Very well, thanks, yeah, Matt. You're good. Uh, okay, so speaking of pots, if you've uh, if you've got any, you should fill it with beer from the wonderful Magic Rock Brewing. Uh, Magic Rock sponsored this fine podcast and is a, a great place for all of your pre and post match get-togethers. So selling some of the finest thirst quenchers known to man and woman. Uh, also, if you want to buy online, uh, our code is AHTTC10, and that will give you ten percent off at MagicRockBrewing.com. So thank you again to Magic Rock and and Richard and co for uh, sponsoring the podcast. So, okay, guys, let's get going with the game. First of all, I think uh, Stoke City 2, Huddersfield Town 1. Uh, a couple of surprises uh, with the lineup to town fans with Sanani and Colwell on the bench, first of all. Uh, Craig Holroyd got in touch with us and he said didn't get Colwell on the bench due to international duty. He didn't play, did he? Um, 
Poz, you went to the game. You know, this is going to be the joke this year, isn't it? Poz is always at the game this season. Uh, <laughs> yeah, went, no one else is. Yeah, yeah, you went down to the went down to the car park in Stoke, and uh, were you surprised with the team sheet, or did it make sense to you? Um, no, a little bit surprised to be fair. Um, I thought Colwell and both, uh, sorry, both Colwell and Solani have both impressed from what I've seen so far. Uh, I appreciate they have been off on on international duty, but I think at at town we've not really got that luxury of being able to drop players just because they've been away. And to play internationally, um, you know, other teams can certainly Premier League teams. It seems to be a habit that you know players go away and they rotate the squad and stuff like that. But I, I would, I were quite surprised that they didn't, they didn't both start. Um, you know, but that's that's up to Carlos. He, he obviously sees the players when they come back. If they're, you know, they might be tired if they're traveling, or you know, even if they've not played. Um, we might have been working on stuff whilst they have not been here just because we haven't had matches, I'm presuming. We still train, so we've probably trained as they're not going to be there. Um so yeah, it were a little bit dis- you know, a little bit disappointing really to see them to see them not playing. But um, you know, Navistar's come in and Holmes have come in and they've I suppose not really impressed uh, massively. Didn't sort of didn't make any difference really. You'd expect them both to want to come in and, and you know stake a claim for a, a first team spot. Um, neither really did much to make me think that they'll be uh, starting on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday. Sorry, when we play at Blackpool, is it Tuesday or Wednesday? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, um, what I'd have probably done is I'd have probably seen Stoke as a, probably a more tricky game, so I'd have probably started them on Saturday and then maybe rested them midweek and, and seen if we could get some out of Stoke on paper. Uh, Blackpool. You'd expect us to go there and 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 take some from that game. Although uh, on Saturday I think they beat Fulham, so maybe you know it'd be a little bit tougher than we thought. Hopefully that's their you know little first win and it's out of the system now because if not it tends to be town, doesn't it? That sort of falls for them uh, for them record breakers. Uh, so yeah, uh, I wasn't a little bit surprised to be fair. Um, I think we've played certainly Sinani going forward. Um, you know, I think he offers so much more than Holmes, and you know we might have got a little bit of joy going forward. Um, I'd say overall, not a bad performance, but certainly not a great one. If I were marking it out of 10, 6 out of 10. Uh, like I say, going forward, especially centrally, we were we were lacking um, this this week. Campbell, as energetic as he is and as you know, enthusiastic he is to sort of chase stuff down, he's, he's not ever filled me with confidence that he's... he's There's a couple a of goal. times where he turned in the middle and then he, he chose to run with it rather than playing you know, someone out wide, which was... And Josh Caron was off the boil a little bit as well, but I just wanted to sort of touch on the the the, uh, the starting lineup. I do get the Sinani one because Sinani, you know, last year we quite crit- I think everyone was quite quite critical about the injuries that Town picked up and the fact that Carlos mm. was constantly overplaying players going into December. And I know it's only September and we're five games in, but Sinani's barely played as he over, so not not really played a lot of friendlies. I don't think over the summer, and then all of a sudden he's played a couple of games for town and then he played 90 minutes, 90 minutes, 45 in a week for Luxembourg. So I think they probably looked at that and thought, you know what, you know, you add in the flights and apparently flying as well increases the risk of injury as well. They probably looked at him and gone, you know what, maybe see how he gets on for Tuesday. Um, I think it's Tuesday. We play Blackpool. You put doubts in my head now, Poz, but (laughs) Colwell for me would would have probably started, you know, he's, he's not played for England on, you know, the under 21. So, you know, for me, he'd have probably been in. And I do appreciate the point that he, he, you know, they do work on things, don't they? While the guys out there, so it, it makes sense. And Carlos said similar afterwards. But 
you know, I think you look at the lineup and it's probably easy now to point fingers and go, oh, you should have played him, you should have played him. You know, it's what fans, it's what we do, isn't it? You know, but, you know, in hindsight, yeah, would, they, would, they, would they have made... Nobody yeah, bothered, I don't think. Exactly, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I, I don't, I, 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 I might have started Colwell, but I, I kind of got where he was coming from, Carlos. So I'm not going to, I think the the long way around I'm going about that is I'm probably not going to point fingers at him and say you should have done this work. You know, I understood why he did it. So uh, fair enough. Uh, Simon, we made a great start. First five or 10 minutes time were f- absolutely flying, weren't they, Paws? You know, and then from watching on, it looked like Stoke kind of worked, not worked us out as such, but they started to press higher up the pitch and that forced us into forced us into a little bit more difficulty in possession. And I felt sort of after the first 10, 15 minutes in particular, Stoke became happier with the ball than what we were. And we were a little bit messier. And you know, I like stats, don't you guys? So I've, I've one thing, one thing that, will always stand out. And I think it surprises everybody when they first get into stats and they look at passing accuracy and everyone, everyone looks at it and goes, why is the, why is that center back top of the, pa- you know, passing accuracy stats and st- center backs are usually top because they just knock the ball to the full back and to the side. Has, yeah, exactly. Uh, but when you look at the passing stats from Saturday, Matty Pearson's got 58.1%, which is really low for a center back. Uh, Tom Lee 67.9 and Nabisar 71.4. That's the lowest that they've had. You know, the center backs have had throughout the season. And I think that, I think that's to give credit to Stoke as well. Their pressing from the top was G- was decent through Brown. And I think some of the goal kick routines we had were a little bit convoluted. One or two were quite nice and got us in. But I, I would say that's probably where Stoke started to turn the game, guys, was they pressed higher up the pitch. And and um, what did you make of that, Simon, sort of town town's performance from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think those similarities from what have been so far this season in that from set pieces we look particularly dangerous um, kind of Sauber Thomas's delivery obviously is heads and shoulders above what we've had in kind of the previous two three seasons and um, there's a couple of chances wasn't in the first half kind of set piece that yeah. kind of missed uh, and then also kind of a, a second kind of corner whereby almost hits Nabi Saran and kind of goes over the bar um, kind of after the first flick on uh, with a couple of the players behind him and who are arguably in a better position to, to finish that chance. And um, we continue to look threatening from set pieces, but in open play, do probably look like we're lacking that kind of killer end product. Um, certainly through the middle, as you mentioned, whether it be Fraser Campbell, Danny Ward up top, um, feels like quite a similar kind of lack of end result or end product there. But yeah, it kind of echoed what you say about really that kind of from, from uh, what I watched, kind of not in the stadium, but, but on TV, kind of, Felt like that kind of those first 10 15 minutes aside, Stoke then kind of grew into the game. Um, uh, but we obviously then kind of come half time and kind of come after that, we uh, we got ourselves ahead. Uh, pause. I, you know, I think Simon's right with what he said there. You know, there's the two chances we, despite Stoke looking more comfortable on the ball than us, we actually created the better chances throughout the game. I thought Vrancic was, was excellent for Stoke and he was probably deservedly man of the match, wasn't he? Uh, but you look at the chances, Stoke. Um, you know, we we there's Matty Pearson's header, which is just past the post. Nabisar, it's just slightly behind Nabisar, so he gets under it, you know, when you watch it back. It's it's unfortunate. And if he goes ahead even more, there's Tom Lees is behind him, ready to tap it in as well. So that was that was unfortunate. Uh and then the second half, you have Sauber Thomas lines up the free kick. It's probably not his best delivery, to be fair. And the goalkeeper just kicks it back out. And he's decent, he's Bursic, but he made a mistake in kicking it back out and a little scramble and uh and there we are with, I've got this, hang on, hang on, wait for my Italian. We've got 
La Volpe Dentro Le Aria de Rigore, which is the fox <laughs> in the box, Harry Toffolo, you know, there. And it's shades of the uh, the goal against Swansea City last year where he turns it in, which um, it was it's nice to see Harry Toffolo back on the score sheet, wasn't it? And uh, at that point, pause, uh, I, I was sat there quite happy, but what I want to say, <laughs> but the next 15 minutes really sort of annoyed me and it shouldn't really because you know five six games in the season and I don't have massive expectations that we're going to go to Stoke and win every game but I think I've still got PTSD from last season's frailties in some way Um, you know from losing from winning from winning positions you know the individual errors uh, that we were making last last year at Stoke was you know Joel Pereira show wasn't it that was really Mm -hmm. frustrating and and Matty Pearson's own goal was similar to Stearman's there last year as well you know with the sort of inexplicable nature of it. Um, Naby Sars put his hands up for the first goal and said, I should have been marking Jacob Brown. And and I think that's bigger Naby to do, you know, fair play to Naby for doing that. Cause everyone was looking at Lewis O'Brien, wasn't it going, why is he not jumped? And it's because Naby, it was Naby's, Naby's man. Uh, so I'm not going to slate anyone. And um, the second one, it could have been cut out by a couple of people. I can see the guys run through Naby's left trailing, trading water a little bit, isn't he? And Lewis doesn't quite get the, the block and Harry Toffolo is the wrong he's, he's sort of not goal side and I pause as you know from playing you know if you're not goal side then you put your foot you put your leg across and the guy's going to go over for a penalty so Harry Toffolo's kind of out of that there whereas the ball comes across and there's absolutely nobody really anywhere near Matty Pearson and he's gone full Holland 1974 and Cruyffed it into the <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> oh, watched it back five or six times I just I Obviously, I used to play defence, so I'm, I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. And I, I, he just got I his just body in the wrong sort of shape, didn't he? I think. Yeah, and... I just I can't see what he's trying to do there. It almost looks like he's he's trying to get it under control and turn back towards his own goal, and it just kind of goes all over the wrong. Now it's it's a little bit difficult to tell, obviously, on replays and stuff like that. But I don't know if the spin of the ball or the bobble or something that just takes it off course at last minute. But really bizarre own goal to to sort of concede and. What's annoying from that know. point, though, Paz, is that they, it's it's like the championship giveth and taketh away, do you know, because we, we've yeah. been so unlucky the last year. And then all of a sudden we get this stroke of luck against Preston, whereby we win the game without a shot on target, you know, without a shot on target. At this point, Stoke had had one shot on target, which was the goal yeah, and the yeah. two one up, you know, so it's like the championships leveled that out straight away. And yeah, apparently definitely. they had two on target, the, you know, but I thought that Fletcher one was going wide, so I'm not going to count mm. But... Yeah, it's it was just, funny because, uh, like you said before, you know, first half we we sort of we started well and you know they figured us out. But sitting in the stadium, certainly away, you, sometimes you get that building feeling, don't you? That you yeah, know, I got that. Yeah, I got that. The Euros final. Yeah, never really, never really felt that though. You know, there were a couple of balls in that um, sort of flashed across goal, but we seemed to deal with them quite well. They were quite, I don't know who plays left wing for Stoke, but they sort of Timon. didn't really yeah, seem to Timon. like him at first because, you know, no one ever passed to him. They all cheered, didn't they, when he got, when he yeah, got it? Yeah, <laughs> he went out there and every, like they'd scored a goal and I thought, yeah. hold on a minute, what's going on here? Um, and he put a couple of decent balls in, but we, we dealt with it well and it got to half time and I were, I were more than happy at, you know, nil um, Yeah, we'd not created much, you know, organic pieces, um, I think that's one of the strengths this season. You know, we're going to have to we're going to have to play to that, and it's actually quite nice. I think it's first time in many a year that we've been able to, you know, get a corner. And you think, do you know what? We might get a goal here. And you centre halves as well. You know, you're trotting forward, and if you know there's a decent ball coming in, and you've got a chance of a goal. It just gives you that extra spring in your step, rather than thinking, why am I making sixty yards up here for a 
crap ball to come in only to make 60 yards back. So, you know, it were it were that air of anticipation. You felt it within the crowd when we got a set piece that, that we could make something happen. And obviously, you know, Toffolo sort of scuffs one in and it's 1-0. And it's the old thing in football, isn't it, that when you've scored a goal, the next 10 minutes are, are really, really important. And mm. to concede from a set piece... Um, you know, what were really disappointing when we were, you know, when you sat there, it did look like Lewis O'Brien's just let his man get a run on him and a jump. But, you know, like I say, fair play to Navi to, to put his hands up. But the, one of the main things that disappointed me really were, I would say the reaction after the, the second went in and we didn't really create it because we were trying, we just lacked a little bit of quality and that that seemed to, that were quite frustrating. We mm. were balls through to, for players to run onto that were just a little bit too straight or a little bit over hit and, yeah. You're looking at the, the players that are sort of playing the ball through, and there's, there's only sort of a, a finite gap to get that ball through. And you get the impression that the aim was to get the ball through the gap rather than to the yeah. man, if that makes sense. We, so we gave the ball away a lot, didn't we? Hard to, to, to make it accurate rather than being able to judge the weight and the accuracy, it were it was yeah. it was a power over you know all else to just to get it there. I was speaking um, to a few few people afterwards, pause, and and they were sort of a bit critical of Lewis O'Brien and Jonathan Hogg. And I, I did notice Jonathan Hogg hit a lot of wayward ones as we were trying to chase the game. But I, I agree with you. Stoke's shape was very good. I think you've got to give credit to Stoke. I think both teams made themselves difficult to beat, you know, in terms of shape. It's just Town have made more individual errors on the day, which is which which has cost us. But I think we come out with a game with a little bit of credit as well, to be honest. I think we've we've gone there against Stoke, who are a good side, I think. I think they've got good players, they've got good good shape about them, a good coach. And I think mm-hmm. they'll be they'll be up in the top sort of Eight, six or eight, I think, at the end of the season. I think we can look back on that and say, okay, we've lost the game. But there are aspects of that game, how difficult we made it and how little Stoke created on the day that really sort of stand us in good stead. As long as we don't lose confidence from the performance, you know, confidence from the result, the performance was actually fairly decent, if not entertaining. And it certainly rustled a couple of the Stoke fans as well. I, I never noticed this time-wasting thing. They were going on about Lee Nichols all the time and I'd never really noticed it. And the first time I noticed it was when Dwayne Holmes was drying a ball to throw in. Dwayne, the smallest man trying to launch the ball to throw it. And yeah, and they were, going, they were kicking off at him and he was turning around having a little chat with him and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as Dwayne does. Um, but yeah, I never really noticed that. But it was, I, I think we come out of the game, it's disappointing. I was really disappointed for an hour or so after the game because I felt like we'd thrown away a result and it just felt a bit like last season's failings. But when I've reflected on it a bit more, I think we come out of the game with a bit more credit than what we would have done last year in terms of the way that we dealt with Stoke. And I think there's definite positives and just trying to get my head around the result because I didn't, I didn't think we deserved to lose that game. Yeah. I think this season is going to be one of them where we'll win two or three and then we'll lose two or three. It won't be a case of, you know, turning up and, and going to win. I think the the way that we play, the style of football that we play relies on players being in form. Um, like I was saying earlier, the, the front, we'll call it a front four when you include your, you know, your central striker. Um, it sounds weird to say after we've just scored four, but I do think that is a, a really an area where we're lacking. Um, centrally, um, hopefully Meepo can come in. He looks quite lively when he came on. I say, what did you really make of him, really? Um, he, I, I couldn't remember him doing anything apart from the, the sort of miscontrol-ish that, you know, he kind of jumped at him a bit, didn't he, in the box? That, But yeah, when I've looked he, back, he's... he's 100% pass rate after a couple of passes and yeah, he looked, looked sharp if you were watching on, uh, on TV because obviously the camera's focusing on the ball but he, he, yeah. he, to me he looked obviously behind the goalie looking through the place so he looked like he was the made, type to try and get behind rather than come short yeah, yeah. Made, he must have made two or three 
sort of runs across and then you know like in um now obviously he's new so it will you know worked with as much but i was sort of saying afterwards if we can get you know sanani or maybe vallejo in who can play who can pick a pass a little bit better than what we had on uh, saturday then that that's a really that's a different option and um, because as, as good as we are going wide you know Sauber thomas is he's had an absolutely amazing start you know i don't want to criticize the lad at all but four key passes four key passes again yeah, he, had, he, he he didn't play bad at all, but yeah. you, people have got to remember he's, he's literally just stepped up from from non-league football and he's, he's started really really well, but he's not he's not great enough quality to just win games. There were people around me, give it to Thomas, give it to Thomas, give it to Thomas. You know, like he's the next Ronaldo, and he can. <laughs> it is exciting though, isn't it? It does exci- it does it does excite is, you. But, yeah. no, but what, the, the point but I'm trying to make pressure, is that he's pressure's not, probably he's not, not. He's not able to do that all the time because he's he's. He's still learning championship football. He's, he's come from yeah. non-league. He's not a world beater as yet, and he's not. He's not going to be a player where every single game is going to be as good. Well, as you look at has look at Josh Caroma as well. He played well. Don't get me wrong. He played well. Yeah. But he's he's not that reliable as yet. And and the same side on the other side, you had Caroma. He's going through the other spell, isn't he? Yeah. So he's going through the he's, other spell. Yeah. He's the opposite. Yeah. He's, he's he's on a downward, and you know there were a couple of times where it opened up and he probably should have had a shot. He'll be back uh, though, mate. The, the conch, the conch is still here. I still believe in Josh Caroma. The conch yeah, is ready. And, you know, the conch is ready. And, and players of that sort of position have peaks and troughs. And, you know, yeah. Caroma, I, I thought after Sheffield United, when he got his, um, yeah, Sheffield United, sorry, when he got his goal, you know, that might give him a little boost of confidence. But he just it was good like against Reading. It was good against down, Reading. Yeah, he yeah, did well against Reading. It just didn't seem that just it's not quite as, I think he had a, a few COVID issues, didn't he, pre-season? So I don't think he's fully there yet, is he? So I don't think he's he's 100%. I, I believe in Josh Caroma as a player, though. I think he'll be back and, and firing at some point. I think sometimes yeah, players the just need there. to play sometimes through. Yeah, like you say, you just, you just need to get that assist. You just need to get that goal. Yeah, and, I, I, know, I think he'll play through it. Just play, let him play through the spells. I think yeah. I think he's I think he's good enough to do that. Um, Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, Simon, um, you know, heads up really to Matty Pearson, Nabisar, you know, I think, bit of bad luck, you know, on, on this occasion, you know, it, the, I think overall quite solid. Stoke looks quite solid to me, probably not the most exciting and enthralling game for neutrals, but would you say a fair result? Or do you th- I, I think town deserved a draw, but from, from your perspective, how would you see the end result really? Yeah, I think probably a, a draw would have been a fair result. I think nil-nil was probably the right result. Cause I think yeah. to be fair, our goal was a bit Scrappy, I think from their point of view, they'll be looking at that going, we shouldn't have let that goal in. Yeah, everyone yeah, everyone does what, that think, though, don't they? I think what I quite liked about our goal is that we're committing men in the box. In in the past, I've been critical of not putting the bodies in and around the box and, and kind of being there for those rebounds and ricochets. And actually, it was nice to see some people there to pick up on kind of the kind of rebound off a goalkeeper and that sort of thing. And um, sometimes you, you create your own luck, don't you, by doing such things. So in, in that respect, kind of... Um, I was pleased with that. I think that the second goal we conceded is particularly soft, actually. I know what you're talking about, Matt, in terms of body shape and, and kind of dangling mm. out like and penalties and such. But I think the guy shouldn't be able to weave between three. three, yeah. Get his, no. get his ball into the box. Kind of, We need to be better at that, I do think. And, and yeah, in, in that sense, um, disappointing and, and a draw probably would have been a fair result. But I don't think we kind of come out of it with any particular concerns or anything looking ahead I think it's important we just put it behind us now uh, for me I think Stoke will be, be in the playoffs this year I think kind of they've got a good squad actually got quite good strength in depth um, so um, yeah not overly concerned all the tension the, the, the little bit of disappointment for me were probably to what right at the end we had 
five minutes at a time and it was you know we were still trying to sort of play out front back and I get that's the style and you know that's how it is but to me and I've said it many times on here and I'll continue to say it get it forward is that what you're going to say get it forward yeah no 100% man Navisar is is massive Matty Pierce both good in air just just stick them up top for five minutes and I was was talking afterwards to to somebody as we were walking out and you know, there's there's teams that can continue to play in such a way with in the last five minutes because yeah. they know that they can carve out a chance like your Man City, your Barcelona. They can continue to play that way because they will get a chance. Whereas Town, it all gets a little bit desperate and passes go wayward and stuff. And like I say, just bang bang Abisar in area and just knock it long to him because it causes just chaos. I think he went up there literally for the last sort of long ball and that's when we had the chance. So you're thinking if you'd yeah. have done that 10 minutes earlier, you never know. You might lose 3-1. You might draw two all. Um, Worth so if, the I, risk. if I were going to be heavily critical towards Carlos, that's probably the only the only criticism. I guess it's a fine line of if we commit that too early, then we go three one down, and we might have got a goal playing as we as we normally play. But you know, Stoke had that big fella at back. He must have been you know sort of six foot six. And if if Navi Sarr goes up, yeah, it takes him out of the game almost because um, he will just man Max Sarr. And even if Sarr just pulls away and don't get involved, it takes him out and. You might get a ricochet and stuff like that, but yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. A draw is would have been a fair result there for me. Like, the only thing for me is I'd like to have seen Meepo been introduced a little bit sooner. It felt like he kind of waited a little while to make that substitution. Yeah, to me yeah. right now, I, I won't claim to know kind of what his strengths are, how good he is. Very much an unknown quantity, but probably comes with a little bit of hype having played for Man City, Man United, West Ham. And actually, should we have thrown him on straight after the stuck goal? That's probably what I would have done. I think Campbell was flagging. I think one one thing I did, I thought I felt Turton was a bit of a wasted sub. Uh, he did all right when he came on, to be fair to him. I, but I just thought he went back forward into Carlos. But I thought the way the game was panning out, I thought Alex Vico uh, as that man in midfield to hit those accurate passes. And I know he's got his own weaknesses, hasn't he? You know, in, especially mm-hmm. in the two with being turned and whatnot. But I just felt Hogg and O'Brien were struggling to penetrate those passes through the middle, which they were trying to do. And Alex Vejko is your man for that, really, isn't he? And that was, I think that's the only thing I would maybe think we got particularly, not wrong, because, you know, it's just an opinion, isn't it? But that was probably something I would have maybe thought about rather than rather than putting, you know, Oli Turton on it. But I understood why he did it, but Matty Pearson can play right back, can't he? So I would have probably just gone that way and kept Tom Lees on. I thought, I thought Tom Lees was good again, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I like him. I think that back, I think the back three works well, the three four three. But um, I do think if you're going to attempt to make maybe play out from the back, that that's not the way. That's not the three that you need because you've got you've got Pearson and Lee's who are probably you know old school inverted commas, and then you've got Nabisari one minute like we've said on here many many Nabi times. Looks like, yeah, one minute <laughs> looks brilliant, and next minute you know you're asking your throat because Gordon Tuxar. Yeah. like he's going to fall over. <laughs> Um, and I think that comes back to, you know, you made the point about Nichols and the sort of alleged time wasting. I think it was his distribution wasn't very good, to be honest. I thought yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, he struggled a bit on Saturday. Yeah, but I, I just chalk that down as a one off because he's been pretty much spot on in every other you game. Know, so, you know, you know. I think the issue with that is, Matt, though, you know, normally, and you'll know as a keeper, if you if you want him to play up front back, obviously, you've kind of got to get on with it quite quickly, haven't you? Um, Stoke set up really well to stop that shot. Yeah, the press tie. Yeah. The only option going long were to Fraser Campbell, who were being marked by, you know, that six that foot seven, color. Harry Suter. Yeah. yeah. 
we were never going to win the header. So I, I do understand why Nichols took his time because it were probably caught in a catch twenty two. If I yeah. play it short, we're, we're going to get pressed. If I go long, we're going to lose it. Nobody well, there's two things. There's two it. things you can do. There's, I think one thing is if you're going to go long, you need to tell everyone to push up because otherwise you're going to lose the yeah. second ball anyway. And that's that's what we were doing, losing that second ball. So your defence and your midfield need to push up to win it. And the other one is to go out wide, and he did go out wide quite a lot, but. We weren't exactly there was Dwayne on the right on the right hand side who's like exactly. five got, six. You know, maybe Thomas and, and Thomas, ball and yeah, yeah, a lot of them just sailed over. But but what's really annoying? What's annoying for a goalkeeper is when you ping that ball, you ping it with the intention for them to jump and flick. And yeah. what's what happens quite a lot is <laughs> a, a defender will come into the back and he will just nudge the the attack, and then they, obviously they won't jump or they'll mistime it. And then it goes out of play and everyone looks at the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper's like, well, it was perfect. It's just yeah, yeah. If you dealt with the defender. So that, I think that happened a fair bit. I'm going to, I'm going to blame the attackers and defenders. That's what, that's what us goalkeepers are always doing it, Simon. So. I, I have to laugh there. Because having, having played a little bit with and, and watched Matt play quite a bit, there's a couple of things there. One, I, I was like Jose Luis Chilever, mate. That was what I was. Sure <laughs> there was very little or what I would describe as playing out from the back. And there was very little, <laughs> very little of pinging balls as well. It was kind of uh, kind of kick it as far as you can get it almost sort of job and see kind of see where we, it lands. Uh, we had a uh, a routine where with um, Graham and Craig who played up front. Uh, people are gonna find this really boring, but what they used to do is they used to do this thing where they would sprint back to the halfway line when I had it and then turn and spin and run because I could make it land on the edge of the other penalty box. So, you know, every time we do this and then I would, I would play it to Craig on the inside left and he would lob the keeper because it would bounce once and it'd sit up and he'd lob it. And I got 13 assists one season <laughs> just from that. You were amazing. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll move on from my, playing out from the back. no, that was like league four, a heavy wool. And then as it got higher, that got significantly less. Let me tell you. So, We'll move on. Yeah, uh, side <laughs> pitch. Side yeah. So let's move on from that. So, yeah. So uh, I think what's interesting, there's three of us, we've had our say. So I think what we'll do is we'll roll in. Uh, I spoke to Ben from the YYY files, a Stoke City podcast. And uh, here's what Ben had to say on the, on the game. <laughs> Hey up guys, thank you for having me back, particularly in defeat. Uh, my thoughts on the game yesterday, well, yeah, it was a bit rubbish, wasn't it really? Uh, neither side created very many chances, I thought, and to be honest, I'd struggle to pick much between them. The first half particularly, you had a good first five minutes. We had a really good chance when Tyron put in a ball for Jacob Brown and he just couldn't quite get on the end of it. And beyond that, it was a bit of a midfield battle, really. Um, the game slowed down slightly, but you're goalkeeper, but we'll, uh, we'll brush over that. Um, and then the second half, obviously, was where it kicked off. I think throughout the entire game, your attacking impetus came through Sorba Thomas, who looked good, certainly a best player on the day. Um, and I think it was him that caused the chaos for the free kick for your goal. Um, yeah, Stoke are <laughs> prone to switching off in certain periods, despite defending well, I thought, for the majority of the game. Um, and it was just a silly way for us to concede. But then I think we showed good character by replying straight away 
And it was the Mario Vrancic show after that, really. He put in the corner for Jacob Brown to head home. What a leap, by the way. Um, and then, of course, it was Vrancic who um, set up your lad. And may I say what an elegant back heel it was as well. Perhaps the best bit of skill of the entire game. Um, lovely finish. Um, and then, aside from the final flourish that he showed at the end, I, I again, I thought the game was relatively even. And a draw would have perhaps been fair, but maybe Stoke edged it in the end and Vrancic was the difference maker and I think barring Thomas that's what you're missing at the moment um, but overall the game like I say wasn't the most exciting game of the season but from a Stoke point of view the fact that we could not play our best football uh, and we're missing the likes of Tyrese Campbell Abdelassim was yet to play for us yet Nick Powell wasn't playing yesterday We've got some good players to come back in this team and I think there's more to come from Stoke. And considering that we're third at the end of play today, I'm excited to see where we're going to go from here. Huddersfield, I think a lot of people had hope. Huddersfield down at the bottom of the table this year. I don't think that's going to happen, don't be wrong. I don't know whether... <laughs> I thought you were quite fortunate to end up in fourth uh, at the end of the previous game. But I'd have said a mid-table finish is perfectly fine for you. Uh, just make sure you keep hold of Sorba Thomas in the winter transfer window. Um, apart from that, best luck until we play you again. And yeah, thanks for having me. There we go. That was Ben from the YYY Files. Fair enough, I thought, from a Stoke point of view. It's always interesting to hear from the other side, isn't it, Paz? Yeah, pretty fair assessment there. Pretty much what we said too. I wouldn't say that Stoke were, were going to push for a promotion bid, though, from what I yeah, saw. I think... they'll, be, they'll be sort of mid-table-ish. Um, although he did mention there's players to come back, so, you know, when they come back, maybe. Um, but yeah, meet again in the playoffs. Season. We'll meet again in the playoffs at the end of the season. No, gap in my knowledge, Matt. <laughs> Forgive me, gap in my knowledge. Why Why the why, why, why files? Why, why, why Delilah, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I presume, in a way. Uh, right, cool. Uh, let's go to the football forum. So after the game, we always uh, push out, you know, a uh, a tweet which which asks for fans for their opinion on the game. And uh, you guys usually come back at us in droves, uh, which is great. So uh, I've already had Craig's tweet in there about uh, Levi Colwell. Um, and we'll go to uh, Nathan M. Nathan says, frustrating result. A draw would have been fair. That said, would have lost 3-0 last season and can't really complain when playing away at an informed side. Missed Colwell and O'Brien. Caroba were poor. Sorba still looking the business. Blackpool and Forest more important fixtures. So you guys can jump in whenever with with any of this and um, and and just interject when you feel free. Uh, the Huddersfield Town family friendly uh, Twitter group now they've got a Facebook group which is decent if you want to join them. Uh, they say they didn't deserve to win but didn't deserve to lose. I don't think uh, Josh Crow had his best game today. Looked a bit out of sorts for me. Not sure starting our three prem loans on the bench helped, but can understand why. Two of them certainly need to start at Blackpool now. It was a good test, though. Uh, Gamer James says, not a disastrous defeat. Tempers unwarranted, promo- tempers unwarranted promotion talk. We are still ahead of the points total I thought we'd have at this point. Some winnable games coming up too, so all good. I'm getting worried about these winnable games. There's expectation levels <laughs> going through Blackpool. You know, beating Fulham and Forest have to win, don't they, at some point. And otherwise, Chris Hewton's in for the old chop, so we'll see. But the last, uh, the last couple here are... Richard Hockey says, uh, you win some, you lose some. We move on to Blackpool. Still think we look good defensively considering the result. Uh, that That's borne by the, the lack of you know shots on target Stoke had. A few attacking players need to start picking up a bit, though, uh, form, otherwise no issues. 
And uh, Terry J says he agrees with that. Uh, so much is better than the start of the year. We look very competitive as a team in this division. And the last comment is from Jonathan Hodgson, who says, two solid, big and well-organized sides slugging it out. Uh, should have been one all, save a free cone goal. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Need to start out this playing out from the back lark. And Ben, Dingby, ben Denby says, I feel like we've been asking that for some time. It's like poking the bear. So the ginger bear. Uh, you, Poz, not Phil Hodgkinson, who we're going to come on to in a minute. Uh, what do you make of those? Um, fair, fair assessments overall? Yeah, I'd say so. I think the playing out from the back thing is always risky. And it you, seems to be the in thing at football to do that. And, uh, you know, you see it down in sort of even lower leagues and even Sunday league football now, people trying to play that way. It takes time to filter through, doesn't it? Your top teams yeah. play and tactics sort of filter down. And sometimes you're asking players that aren't capable of doing it to do it. But on, on Saturday, it did. It did work on a couple of occasions, but everything. I think when you play like that, everything has to be so pre-planned. Mm. And if the opposition set up in a way that stops you from doing that, it, it goes out of the window. So you've got to be, I think, on your feet and you've got to do something different. And I think that's probably where we struggled on Saturday. More than not being able to do it, I think Stoke set up to stop us doing it. And then we just couldn't think of another way around that. So we kind of didn't really do all. We didn't knock it long. We didn't knock mm. it wide. We just tried a, a bit of a combination of everything and you know fans were getting frustrated certainly around me and me because you did set up for the for the playing out from the back and there'd be two passes and then someone would just end up leathering it anyway so you might as well just do that from the, the, the wagner side used to have two used to used to play it from the back didn't they and then if anyone ever used to press high so the center backs would split and hoggy would drop didn't they so they had the three and then moy just ahead just to, you know just in case they push too far and you could clip it over mm. Uh, and then if they ever got pushed too high, what they would do is this, the fullbacks would push up, Tommy Smith and Lerva, and then Danny Ward would hit, or Lossell, whoever, would hit a diagonal to them, and then they would win the header and go down the line that way. And it yeah, just feels yeah, like maybe yeah. we've not got that second phase, you know, yet. Uh, and maybe that's just what we're lacking is, you know, if we're pushed high, don't do, don't, <laughs> some of the risk-taking was really daft, I thought, at the time. But, you know, maybe it just needs a, a set plan where you just change and then, you know, hit that diagonal. But... We'll move on now to... Uh, sorry, to... I was just saying, Matt, I think, I think for me, it's, it's picking the, the right moments and the right times in a game to, to play out from the back. I think Paul's made a good point earlier how kind of 85, 86 minute when you're chasing the game and, and you've got options like putting your two centre-halves up top and hitting some long balls. So, um, that that then feels like a better option. Similarly, certainly last season, there were a couple of occasions where we tried playing out from the back just before half-time and never to end up conceding kind of a, a really poor goal. And I think it's just kind of understanding where the momentum is in the game and where the kind of where the op- opportunities are and, and kind of adapting accordingly rather than being so rigid to a game plan that you've kind of mm. worked through in the week. So hopefully we'll see more of that for me going forward. Let's move on. We, uh, we've been talking about the Stoke game for a little while. So the other piece of uh, news that we're going to talk about is Phil Hodgkinson. So Phil... I think he promised uh, an interview, uh, didn't he, during the transfer window, said he would speak, you know, at the end of the window once it was all done. And as good as his word, he was here. So after the window had shut. So he mentioned um, he mentioned quite a lot, really. There's, it was a quite a long and thorough interview. Uh, fair play to Phil for, for, for doing that. Uh, and what we'll do is we'll break down a couple of things here and we'll just have a little discussion because some of these are quite interesting. Uh, initially, uh, he, he's mentioned the club have now rid themselves of 
he didn't really want to say bad apples. He, want, he didn't. He wanted to sort of move on and focus elsewhere. But it sounded like he's got everybody sort of pushing in the in the same direction now. Whereas before, there were people maybe had their own agendas or had their own way of doing things. And and you know, and he's got everybody sort of all in the same boat, all rowing the right way now, which which sounds good. Uh, and you know, he said he's got his. This is this is now, this is more like Huddersfield Town, I think, is what he said, didn't he? Which which is really interesting. Uh, which is which is great. But the main, I think the main thing they wanted to talk about, obviously, because there was uh, interest from uh, up the M62 as well, was Lewis O'Brien. And I think this is the first sort of... And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win... Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Major talking point we'll, we'll come to. Um, just my point of view on this was, I appreciate that Phil wants to be as upfront as possible. And, you know, he gave some really sort of interesting insight, didn't he, into the deal itself. Uh, I just felt a little bit uncomfortable about how much detail he did go into <laughs> as well. Um, I think I don't think we probably needed to know as much as maybe what it's probably an odd sort of um, an odd point that I'm trying to make here but I just thought maybe he went a little bit too far you know in giving some information but it's you know we appreciate what he's you know what he said we appreciate the information Um, Lewis uh, just to recap the offer was around 13 million pounds but the tweet from Radio Leeds I thought could have maybe been worded a little bit better because they didn't add the context around that. And it kind of invited a bit of a pile on from, you know, those lot, you know, who don't usually do context anyway. Is this but- a problem is that, man? I know I understand why journalists do that, but you know, a lot of fans will just read that we've turned down 30 million. Exactly. Right. And not even read the rest of the interview. So straight away. I thought they would you know, know that though. In and, pelting him and, and then all of a sudden you say, well, have you read it? And then they read it and go, ah, fair enough. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Know, so, I thought it could have been. Yeah, I thought it could have been worded a bit better. I know sometimes it's impossible, isn't it, to to, to word everything perfectly for everybody. But I just thought the tweet could have maybe been structured a bit. It was just a bit of clickbait, really, wasn't it? More than else. It felt a bit like that, yeah. Fair but, enough. But yeah, but the, so yeah, so they offered thirty million pounds. Uh, the context was lost in the tweets, as we said. Um, which, um, yeah, so the context was the. Essentially, there wasn't enough guaranteed cash within that 13 million, and Leeds were one million pounds short of the guarantee. And Phil just felt that if you're not going to prepare to go one million pound when you're a Premier League club with with all that money, then you can't want him that much. And that was essentially the gist of of what he was trying to say. Um, I've heard from a couple of you know we all have our little sources here and there, don't we? Of what's happening, and I, I've got one that's got a foot in the other camp. And and let's just say a couple of those clauses that Leeds United had were perhaps 
you could refer to them as fantasy clauses, you know, to take it up to the 13 million. You know, it's very much town weren't ever going to get 13 million unless aliens landed from the planet Zog and started to claim the earth as, you know, under the name of Marcelo Bielsa. You know, there's all sorts of, apparently, there's all sorts of some funny uh, and frolics in there. I think the I heard, Matt, were probably less likely than that to happen. I won't say what it was. Yeah. yeah. It's so, you know, I so... About, I, think, I think the thing for me as well that's perhaps not been spoken about is in between there have been a lot of conversation or kind of noise around the Lewis O'Brien transfer and the end of the windows that Leeds United went out and did quite a big bit of business on Dan James that I think... Initially, they weren't planning on doing. Um, they didn't, from from what I read, they weren't looking to strengthen in those kind of four positions. But Dan James obviously became available as, as a result of Ronaldo moving to United. And I think that perhaps meant that then the, the kind of the appetite or the cash that they may have, may have, may not have come back with to offer for Lewis O'Brien was no longer there. So I think that was something that wasn't spoken around during the interview. And, and I think that's from an outside looking could have been something that, that changed the direction of travel as well. Mm, possibly I think the O'Brien thing was kind of rumbling all summer though wasn't it whereas that Ronaldo thing was kind of a flash sort of at the end wasn't it which changed everything yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah but... it probably altered the last week didn't it of what's going on there but yeah, yeah you could have foreseen one scenario being that Leeds would have come back with an improved offer for O'Brien that met kind of the criteria that Phil set but as a result of parting loads of cash for Dan James we're no longer in a position to do that so yeah just very much a possibility. I'm not saying that's true, but but it wouldn't surprise me where that the case either. Yes, I think so, I think it were. I know you've gone. So I was just going to just say. I think I know you've said it's probably a little bit too information. Um, you know, he's gone quite into detail there, but I think some of that's good. But I think sometimes that's what fans want. And and yeah, you know, but is that a good? Is that a good thing? Rumors are like it's it's oh we've turned down yeah. 30 million for Lewis O'Brien, and all of a sudden everyone goes mental. He's actually explained as to why we've done that and I think that's that's quite interesting to to hear as a fan uh, I get what you're saying and as another club that might look to do dealings with town if stuff fall through is yeah. it will they look at that and oh everything's going to come out in wash kind of thing so he's kind of damned if he doesn't damned as he done on, on that particular one yeah it wasn't it wasn't a particularly big complaint or anything it was just a sort mm. of an observation yeah it was just an observation yeah. where it's, you just it's think probably because it's unheard of you know, you don't hear many chairman going into that that level of detail. So it's probably more of a, hang on a minute, are we doing something we shouldn't be rather than... Yeah, it was interesting. Um, for sure, it was it was interesting and appreciated. It was just, you just think, well, I hope that doesn't affect other people wanting to talk yeah, to, yeah. to us if, you know, he's going to tell, you know, people of the deal. But, you know, a lot of transfers are covered by NDAs when they go through anyway. So, you know, and things like that and undisclosed and you're not supposed to tell, you know, so... I'm sure there are other little mitigating factors as well that all happened down the line. But the positive thing that came out of it was that Luis O'Brien's in contract talks now, which which is very positive because I I was sort of saying in the last couple of weeks that this co- there's a core of players at Huddersfield Town who are very promising, and Luis O'Brien, Harry Toffolo, and Josh Caroma are three of them. And last week, you know, I I said you know Harry Toffolo sign your bloody contract, Harry Toffolo, and and it looks <laughs> like he's he's got one now. And you know, if he doesn't sign it, I'm gonna you know call him out again. <laughs> so um, not that that'll do anything, but he's, um, but for me, if Phil manages to, you know, he's got rid of Bakunin and Benza, who we'll talk about in a moment. Um, oh, well, not got rid of, but they've, they've left. And, you know, if we can use the money that would come in in future for Bakuna for the contracts of Lewis O'Brien, Harry Toffel and Josh Caroma to, you know, to give them some, uh, to sort of give Huddersfield town some um, time with them, if you like. And it just, it just, 
all of a sudden things look a little bit more settled as well. And the side looks a bit more settled. And for me, it's a really good platform for the, from the club to build forward as well. And it also guarantees the, you know, that we're not going to lose these guys for nothing and, you know, and we can start to plan properly. So for me, the, one of the exciting parts of that was the potential that Lewis, and from what I hear, Lewis is pretty close to, to agreeing that, uh, I think once that first domino goes, the other dominoes in the, in the squad will go as well. And for me, that would be fantastic news and a real, to coin Mel Booth, who's, who's retirement party tonight. So, uh, bless you, Mel Booth as well, if you ever listen to this and you know, good luck in your retirement, but it would be a Philip, wouldn't it? Uh, Pozza for uh, Huddersfield or a Boone. That was his other one for Huddersfield. If we got those three guys signed down, I'll stop waffling now and I'll let you talk. <laughs> yeah, I think obviously getting getting O'Brien tied down, he's, he's got an option this year, and he sort of potentially we know we can trigger that, and it's another twelve months. But you know, if you can tie him down onto, we'll have a three-year deal at town, don't we? So we've got to be in at least three. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose it guarantees that um, if someone does come in for him, they will have to, you know, sort of pay what we value him and, and then if he don't then he's, he's playing for town and he's you know a string in our ball so I think either way it works it works well um, yeah it can only be a good thing and that left side it. as well we, that that left side we've, we've, I think independent observers as well the second tier podcast you look at that second that left hand side um, Simon of Toffolo O'Brien and Karoma and that's up there with some of the best you know that combination's up there with some of the best in this league obviously Fulham and West Brom are on a different level um, but after that, you know, that's a really good combination. And I'll tell you what, I'm very interested to see how Pippa lines back up, you know, with Sauber Thomas on that right flank as well. And I think there's some really, really promising combinations to be had there as well. And you can just see that that sort of forming together nicely. I know we're getting slightly off track here, but it does excite me in the future if these guys sign that contract, so. Yeah, I completely agree. Certainly helps. I think we saw glimpses certainly last season um, and a little bit this season as well down that left-hand side, as you mentioned, of kind of Toffolo overlapping and Lewis O'Brien threading balls through to Karoma and such. So not much sure what else, not sure what much else there is to say really other than that kind of we hope we tie them down on kind of three, four-year deals. And um, like you say, then Mix is a much more appealing club to, to anyone kind of coming in yeah. next summer and that kind of beyond there really. Right, let's whiz through a couple of these because I've realised we've spent too long talking about Stoke if we want to hit the uh, the magic 60 <laughs> minutes on this podcast. Uh, Bakuna and Mwapsa, uh, Umbenza as he's known elsewhere, <laughs> is uh, the next one. So Bakuna went for, for nothing, um, essentially, but we have a big selling clause and payments are due to kick in next year as well, which will uh, which means town will get their money back. I believe we paid $2 million to Groningen for Bakuna, so at least $2 million will be coming back potentially more, um, which is fair. But I don't think we expected any more than that. Uh, and Benza, I believe the club that was bidding for him was Olympiakos. I think we can work that out slightly. If it's not, apologies. But three and a half million uh, and another half a million in clauses, uh, other clauses. And, Be- and Benza wanted to wait a 40% pay increase. I thought that'd be right up in Benza Street, if I'm honest. Uh, fi- five other clubs, including, Bas- I think Besiktas were mentioned at some point. Trabs and Spa, they were mentioned. Um it seems like he's held the club to ransom a little bit, doesn't it? And, you know, he's played he's played the game. Him and his agent have absolutely played the game perfectly from their point of view. And they've come to the end of the window and said, right, we're not going anywhere unless you release us. And the transfer fee you would have had is now going to go to my agent and I'm going to go retire from professional football and sit in Qatar and sipping, you know, non-alcoholic daiquiris on, sprawled across the front of a Lamborghini on Instagram like he likes to do. That seems to be the Unbenza thing, doesn't it? It's a shame, really, because... Um... 
there was kind of a, a point, albeit a very brief point, last season where you thought, actually, there's a football player here who wants to be here, who, and you saw glimpses of why he potentially commanded it at a really high fee. Um, but you now think that was a big facade and, and lo and behold, we're back where we actually always thought we would be with Mbenza. I think the question for me was, was Phil right to kind of take up the options on both Bakuna and Mbenza's contract to try and secure the club some money? In the case of, uh, of Bakuna, it looks like it was the right decision. And actually, by triggering that extension, we've now got a better deal than what we would have done had we just released him for Mbenza. It's probably contrary in that we've probably paid out a few more weeks wages than what we would have wanted to but um, I, think I think kind of Phil's probably sat here now thinking he's gone I didn't sign him let's draw a line under it and I'll move on and I think because fans we're all thinking that as well because I think we've all wasted too much time on him Benzer and we'll probably want to talk about something a bit more productive someone wasted too much time on that tandem bike as well didn't they back in the day pause <laughs> you'll remember um <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, apparently, I think from what I heard, we haven't had to pay out his full contract, um, but we've just paid a couple of months at the start, which is probably 150 grand or something, which still grates a little bit. But, you know, it is what it is. He's gone. Um, thank, in, thankfully, in he has. football, like a really weird business to be in, though, for a man yeah. who's like, literally done nothing and underperformed for pretty much, two, well, two and a half years, if you give him a good six months here and there added together, can still command a fear you know, still attract a bid of three and a half million pound and a 40% pay increase. And God, you know what I mean? I wish, I wish I were a footballer, obviously, but you know, if I were that bad at my job, no way would somebody want to give me an increase to move on. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. And I think Benzer is just a disgrace, to be honest. The way that he's, you know, where that he's conducted himself and the fact that he basically sprung the club along, you know, with the, with the three and a half million. And I think that's probably the most annoying thing when we give him that contract. I know it will have been a fine line between, you know, giving him giving him the contract so we'd get some money and you know potentially let him leave for no. But sometimes you've just got to take the hit on you and just get rid of him and get get him out and and they almost make a stand and say, look, we're not prepared to be bent over by you anymore. Get out and see you later. Kind I, th- of I think at the end of the day, I think they were probably right taking the risk. They've rolled the dice and. You know, it's worked in Bakuna's case, not well, in Benzema. They've won but... one and lost one, aren't they? I suppose so. They're probably yeah. in time even each other. Each yeah, other. I think I think it's I think it's been a fair fair effort to be honest. There's not um, of that Premier League era now. The majority, if not all, perhaps with the exception of Hog have left the club. I think you would say you wish the majority of them well, and that kind of they served Huddersfield Town well. Some performed better than others. Some probably put a bit more effort than others. But but by and large, you kind of think most of them. Gave her all in, in Huddersfield Township and, and wanted yeah. the best for the club. And Benzers. And Benzer can get <laughs> fucked. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. Um, I, I won't lose any sleep over in Benzer. It's like it's like David Wagner. You know, I keep looking to see how he's getting on it in the Wanked Off Stadium. It's what it's called. And um, you know, he's doing really well, taking you know young boys into the Champions League. It's it's great. You know, you know, me and a mate even thought you know if they get to Man City, who don't sell all the tickets, we might might even go and watch them, you know, and, and see how they get on. But they got Man United, so no chance. But yeah, you're right, Si. I think I think the majority of players you would say, do you know what? Fair enough. Wish you well. Zanka's gone to Brentford, hasn't he? So mm. that's that's a strange one because Zanka seems such a great guy first season and then second season. Something strange happened there. And I think that would be really interesting. Well, I'm not going to delay on this too much, but it'd be really interesting to sort of speak to him and say, what actually happened that second season? And I think it might be quite interesting. But um, Carlos? You, you sense a lot of the blame will be pointed at Siemens door. Maybe, yeah. but I think it started a bit before, but yeah. Uh, Carlos, Phil, quite happy to uh, to see Carlos doing well, full of belief in him. Uh, he's 
describes him as fantastic, a fantastic coach, doesn't he? Always has. Um, he's always had unwavering um, belief in his ability, hasn't he? Uh, it's nice to hear his support. Uh, and he, he did well, only say... All I say there, Matt, is what, what, what else do you expect him to say? Well, when I mean, we interviewed right him, well, mate, mate, when we interviewed him that time when after Danny Cowley refused point blank to say anything nice about them, and that's when he thought, oh, okay, maybe there's something happening here. But you know, he was unwavering in the support for for Carlos, even when things were bad. And it, but he did actually temper that by saying there's only five or ten percent season of the to five to ten percent of the season gone. So you know, let's not go overboard. And and he did sort of say he didn't he did sort of steer away from any I told you so's and stuff like that, which I thought I thought was quite a nice nice section really. Um, expectations it was quite well wise. timed though wasn't it I know yeah. obviously he said he was going to do it after window shut and it, it did shut at the time it shut and we'd just come off back of a 4-0 and a good performance of I think he'd say the same really thing after Stoke to be honest I, I, I think yeah no I'm not suggesting that you know he planned it to come out at that exact time because you know he did say I'd do it after window shut but it would have been interesting if we hadn't uh, if we'd have lost know, the general all. consensus yeah what I've seen has been a, a good reaction to the interview and I'm not saying Phil has changed what he said. I mean, like the reaction to what he said might have been a little mm. bit different. Yeah, if fair enough. If we'd have lost, um, everything's dictated about result by results. Course, it, yeah, like yeah. I says, what's he going to do and come out? He's not going to come out and say, "Well, you know, I'm not quite sure. We were a bit crap last season. Let's see how he goes." He's going <laughs> to. He's going to. Like I say, he did under Jan and the Cowleys, so you know, you never know. He's, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so expectations. He, he he never really gives a. a a figure does he on expectations? We've heard this before, where he never really sets any targets. He's just said we're, we're expecting a significant improvement on the last three seasons. Which February can't get much worse. That. Yeah, he said by February the first. Yeah, he said by February the first. But there's only like a couple of months left. Then it's a bit of a cop out, that isn't it? Um, but yeah, so Tommy Doyle as well. That was a, a player that um, was all set to come to us. Uh, you know, midfielder. Uh, Agreed with Man City, left it to Lee, got on a plane, Lee Bromby, uh, and then his agent took him to Hamburg, which Man City weren't aware of. I thought that sounded a bit odd, you know, from Man City. Why, you know, why that Man City weren't aware of it. I thought that was a bit odd. Um, would have yeah, been I nice. Would have been really nice to have to sign where he goes. Yeah, I thought that was a bit strange. But it, it was either really bad if the agents done that and said, right, we're in Hamburg now. You either let him go here or he's not going anywhere. Then you never deal with that agent again, do you? Or you are aware and you just don't admit to it <laughs> so but maybe there was a bit of cloak and dagger by Man City who knows um, it would have been nice yeah football football and it? it's just such a shithouse business yeah. isn't it there's you know people <laughs> people all over but yeah it would have been nice when it paused if we'd have got another midfielder but are we desperate for one in the 3-4-3 three, three, probably not if we go back to you know 4-3-3 three, 3-5-2 three, three, Maybe it becomes a bit more pertinent. Yeah, it sort of depends on what formation we're looking to play, doesn't it? As to, to whether we're short in midfield. Um, yeah. So yeah, one, you know, again, is that a soundbite to keep fans happy to say, look, we were going to get this guy, but we didn't. Mm. You don't know, do you? And you're never going to get the Ashman City, and they could tell you a totally different story. And you you ask the agent, and they'll probably tell you a totally different story. So it's, you know. Yeah, of course, you know. You know. Shades of grey on that one, I'd imagine. But again, yeah. if we were in from for him, for you know. Fair just shows shows the intent, I guess. Uh, paying Dean off, he's mentioned as well. He he wants to. I think he I think he said he wanted to pay Dean off by Christmas or over the next few months or something. I think he said, uh, if possible, having a debt. To me, having a debt free club will be massive because that that debt is. I don't want to delay this, and we shouldn't talk about the details of the debt for obvious reasons at the minute. But it would be huge, wouldn't it? Really, to get that off of the, the club. It is sort of a, a dark cloud which hangs over the decisions the club can make at the minute. So to get rid of that would be 
would be huge. And if he managed to do that before Christmas, you would actually have to say, you know, fair play, Phil. Depending on how he did it, obviously, uh, you would probably have to say, do you know what, fair play, let's crack on. And uh, I think that would only be good for the club to get rid of that and move on as as debt-free as that, possible. I think that is probably the, the sort of, like you said, the dark cloud over it. It's like the, the, the thing that's always there in back at minds of both fans and probably Phil as well, that every decision that he makes, that is still in his mind. So if he can get rid of it, as you say, just depends on how he does that. If he pays off Dean and, you know, transfers the debt to him, you know, yeah, we're debt-free, but we're debt-free. Still owed it to... Debt, but to, the, to somebody, I'd rather owe it to Phil than Dean because, you know, Dean's taken out and Phil might let it sit there for five years as Dean did before. So, you know, again, if, if he pays it out of his own pocket, you, you've got to say... He does mention that actually, doesn't he? He does say if we can't afford to yeah, pay Dean off by, says, uh, by transfers, you know, you know. money to Dean, and if we don't generate enough revenue for the football club, I'll be able to pay it. Then that's my job to cover it. So that's what'll happen. So yeah, know, and that's the, that's talking about the February payment that's due to him. So we'll... I thought the the putting money in bit was quite interesting. You know, he goes on about putting money into the club. He does say, I think this is what as fans we always want a you know a big philanthropist to come in and throw millions at the club and never ask for it back. It's, Probably not very realistic, is it? But this is this is what we dream of, isn't it, as a football fan? But he's, what he said was quite interesting and made a lot of sense that, it, you know, the money just put in is usually via sponsorship. I think that has different tax implications, doesn't it, for a business, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it's probably easier to do that to a certain level, but you can't put silly amounts in because, it, you know, the FFP will call you on it. And I think there's a fair value scheme as well, whereby you yeah. can't just say, I'm going to sponsor the shirt for 100 million quid. You know, they, you can't do that. You know, football clubs... Get cold, and Man City tried to do that with the stadium, didn't they? With the Etihad Stadium, and tried to circumvent it that way. The old taxi firm and stuff. Like <laughs> yeah, crazy taxi. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's not. But it was interesting to say that he'd done that, and he'd rather do that. But he doesn't want. He also says that he would. He never rules out lending the club money as a loan, but he wants to try and avoid it, and he wants to try and put money in where he can, which I think was quite interesting. Um, and he also. But linked that was the whole. Um, how do we, as a club, generate more income and more revenue streams? Um, some of the things you spoke around in terms of kind of development of the stadium uh, and such, you probably want to mention now, so I won't say too much, I thought was kind of quite was, interesting. Actually, yeah. and it demonstrated kind of a, a medium to long-term plan in terms of... I saved, that last, I saved it for last side, the best oh, for last. <laughs> no, it's all right. Yeah, go for it, go for it, mate. But it's really interesting, isn't it? What, what stood out for you has been the most interesting from it? Um, I just felt that it was quite evident. I mean, there's obviously conversations been ongoing for quite a while now around the ownership of the stadium and, and kind of where that sits going forward and the kind of the change of structure there. But but kind of there was any evidence of a clear plan in terms of the loan that would be taken from that trust, how that would be utilised within the stadium to improve revenue streams in terms of the hospitality areas, conference centres and such. I'd be interested to know that about that loan, you know, from, from the trust and who the trust is, because I didn't, didn't get quite get that from the interview, yeah. but that might be interesting to know later on. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, and there's also a question in terms of, obviously, Huddersfield Town will become, or the Huddersfield Giants will rent, essentially, the stadium off the club and, very much unlikely it will be disclosed, but what are the terms that rent and all that sort of stuff is just quite interesting. But um, we talk about kind of having kind of conference facilities, um, ultimately depending on how much and how frequently they'll be utilised and all that sort of stuff actually could be quite lucrative. And then there's many shops kind of hosting more concerts and that sort of thing, which suddenly you start to think actually um, all that could be quite beneficial and make the club much more sustainable in the long term. I think Phil in the interviews you 
used quite a broad spectrum, but somewhere between two and five million per annum in terms of additional revenue that's generated. If you look at Brighton, Brighton and Hove Albion, what they do, they do something very similar. Um, Ask David Hartrick about this, you know, and he'll quite happily talk about, I think it's Paul Barber, the the guy there that's in charge of all that. And they... They pretty much have fans in, like Phil says. You know, it was on about having fans in from 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. But this is what Brighton do. They put live music on in the stadium. They get people spending money in the stadium, not just during the game, but way before and way after. And they also have it working seven days a week. So Brighton is actually a really good um, blueprint to follow. And it seems to be they've got something. The only thing I think the stadium is probably missing at the minute, when, I don't know about everyone else, but when my company do these conferences and, and go away, they always want to do like, They'll go somewhere where they can do an event of sorts as well. So just off the top of my head, we've done, we went to the Williams factory in Oxnard in Oxford and they'll take you, you know, you have a tour around the uh, Williams factory and Nigel Mansell's old F1 car and stuff like that. Or they'll go to Silverstone and you'd go around the track. So there's always an event and I think Huddersfield probably lacks maybe something to do alongside. Down the road. Yeah, there's yeah. the Hollywood Bowl, of course, yeah, and McDonald's and what have you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a reopen Ricky's strip back, don't you? <laughs> oh, topless barmaids at 3 p.m. That's like what everyone wants, isn't it? But yeah, it just I, I look at the water there, and I just think maybe there's something they could do with you know the sort of in terms of canoeing, kayaking that's not been done around West Yorkshire before, whereby maybe they could do you know like uh, a two-in-one sort of thing. But that that was the only could thing. Yeah, cars up and running, you know. Could yeah. Have a trip up. Vulcan and have a couple of pints on that. You so what Cosy said, didn't he? Once he's all the delights cable of the, the Vulcan. Vulcan it, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure they'll come flocking. <laughs> yeah, uh, but well, no, it, it is good because it shows, it does show that forward thinking ambition, and uh, I think the hotel will be a big, a big pull because um, you know if you're having a two day event, for example, you can just stay mm. at the hotel now, whereas before you, you know, you wouldn't, you'd have to find somewhere, and there's not an abundance of places in Huddersfield that are, that are like that and can cater for that. So. Yeah, it's, it shows the ambition. It shows the the, the sort of the forward thinking. I'm not quite sure about the, you know, 11 till 11. I think Brighton are quite unique in that their stadium is... It's a bit more of an affluent area as well, isn't it, Brighton? And, you know, people will probably go down and spend 10 quid on a pizza, whereas, you know, we're too tight to spend 250 yeah. on a pie. So it'd be interesting to see how that, you know, works out. But, yeah, you can't fault the vision and you can't fault the... The ambition this, this, and yeah. it, it, one thing it does as well, though, for me is uh, the one thing that I took of that is um, originally I maybe had concerns that Phil's plan was to get us debt free and maybe move us on. But from that, it seems like this is an ongoing project for him and he'll, he'll stick around. It was nice to see that there's a plan. I think that was the main thing. You just look at it and think, right, there's a plan, you know, with, with the football club and you can see a plan. Because for, for ages, we've, you know, me and sort of some friends, I know people find commercials really boring, don't they? You know, because he's like, straight away, he's like, I don't want to talk about this commercial nonsense. But it's so important to a football club. <laughs> and it, it genuinely isn't. It, when, he, when he said this will improve two to five million, great. That means, and he, he's pretty much said that means you don't have to, maybe don't have to sell a player that year if it's if it's good. And, you know, yeah, it's yeah. stuff like that is what you want to hear, isn't it, as a fan? You know, that's, that's how it works. You know, you go and you enjoy these events and you spend money and then, Louis O'Brien stays for another three years. That that's you know sort of how it works, and that's how it should work. And it's really interesting. So I'll run over just very quickly the the points I've made on it. So just for anybody that's not aware and hasn't listened to the interview, uh, he mentions there's a stumbling block about HD one. Didn't go into it in too much detail. Uh, mediation should sort that out. So the deal should be concluded by the end of the year. That will be we. When I say we, means the football club Huddersfield Town will run the stadium. Uh, the football club will run the stadium. The stadium will be put into a trust. The football club will have a 25-year running lease. 
the Giants become a tenant and pay rent. The trust will give us 10 to 12 million, uh, which will be invested in the stadium, a lot of it and upkeep. And he mentions the, um, the upkeep will cost a couple of million and they're wanting to expand the corporate areas, creating a tunnel club. You know, Man City and Tottenham have really popular tunnel clubs. I can't imagine ours will look too similar to the tunnel clubs that there because they are spectacular, but... He wants to create a tunnel club, which he mentioned could be done during the season, uh, which is interesting uh, because they're moving people from the offices there elsewhere in the stadium. Uh, three different corporate lounges rather than the boxes in the FM stand, which will then host a thousand people for conferencing and functions. Uh, and they're trying to make it, like, like Simon says, a place to try and generate revenue uh, during the week as well as at the weekend for football. And fan bars as well. He's on about creating these fan bars and they want to be open for, like I say, you know, a lot longer before and after. Uh, the question is, though, as a Huddersfield fan who's not used to this, would you spend time at the ground when there's no football game on? Because I'm not used to that. I rock up at five to three and I go straight away. Pause. you hang around for a little bit, don't you, with uh, with Jack to try and get some photos every now and then. But would something yeah, like this, would you're, are you more it. likely to be the target of this than, well, maybe I am as well. Maybe I'll hang around. But as a football fan, do you think it's a good idea? Market, uh, yeah. I, I think it's certainly... Uh, going to be marketed at more like your family sort of atmosphere rather than, you know, your young lads um, sort of grouping together. So, you know, if I can get down there and have a bit of scran with me, with me boys. Five guys. I'd, I'm still waiting for five guys to be built on HD1, mate. You know, it depends what they've done. You know, it depends what goes there, doesn't it, and what, you know, what you're after. You've got your football fans in, certainly you're not going to be attracted. You know, like you've talked about Man City and Tottenham, they can they can put on a five-course banquet before and yes. people will pay £1,000 to do it. That's not going to happen. Different level, yeah. To be honest. So they've got to pitch it right. They can't be too ambitious and price people out. They've got to, you know, you've got to, you know, beer and a burger is probably the more, you know, than bloody lobster and squid or whatever that they have at Emirates. Or <laughs> something like that. So it'll all depend on how the, how the market, and they talk a lot about corporate, uh, but they've got to be, catering for you know the likes of us the fan on the street you know and they've got to have outlets for everybody otherwise it, it won't work um but again it's one of those let's see how it pans out you know two or three years time let, let's see how they go and well I'm said they're going to consult for, for dreaming and, and hoping that it can happen so yeah so they're going to kind of consult the fan groups he said so hopefully that's that will yeah. come to fruition yeah. i think if i said if I, think, if I start drinking at 11 a.m., I don't think I'll make kickoff, so that'll be my <laughs> issue. Um, but um, yeah, look, that actually is, I think for me, it's a good idea. Do I see myself being there at 11 p.m. at night? Probably not, but would I be up for kind of hanging around for two or three pints afterwards to half seven, eight o'clock? Then yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, kind of look forward to seeing what it looks like, probably seeing a bit more detail on the plans. Yeah, I'd love to see some plans, you know, like, like they usually send out a video, don't they? Like a. Um... You know, like they did with Canal Side before it was built. They sent oh, like God, a, um, what you call... no, not a forty-five minute <laughs> video, but just sort of like a, a fly through, like a how it will look like. I think that'd be quite interesting to see. You know, those yeah. those drone fly throughs are massive at the minute, so maybe a virtual. No offense, no offense if you listen, Mark, but I don't think I can spend another sixty minutes listening to you to talk about how water's going to get transferred. Oh, mate, at least he didn't have to put his mask on outside now, so that's one plus for him. <laughs> so. Bless him. I was going to say, I know, we're, I, know we're, I know we're trying to keep it under the uh, the sixty minutes. I don't know. That's gone, mate. Sixty. We're on sixty oh, odd. Yeah, it's gone. I'll just I'll keep it short though. But the, right at the very start of the interview, I thought it were good that sort of Phil maybe he sort of put his hands up and acknowledged his previous mistakes. Um, 
you know, when he came into the club, he were obviously excited and he probably did let a few of his ideas and, and his mouth run away with them a little bit. And he's probably had a chance to fully assess the state of the club now and, and what needs to be done. And I thought that was quite big of him because to me personally, he always came across as a person who maybe wouldn't do that sort of thing. Um, and it just showed that, you know, he's, he's learning and, you know, he gets a lot of stick from, from fans and, you know, we've, Ivan here personally sort of called him out for stuff and it's nice to see that now he's you know he's showing a little bit more humility maybe and you know it shows that he's, he's learning as he goes and you know people are maybe starting to or be personally uh, maybe like warm to him a little bit more so you know from my opinion from my point of view fair play to him for for, for saying that and stuff so you know I thought it was, I thought it was a good a, a, him, good interview you know Maybe give him a little bit of slack for, for the rest of this season and, and see where we end up. Hmm. That's like I say, it'll be dictated by what happens on the pitch, won't it? But I think if no, things, will, everything is, if things go okay on the pitch and we finish finish middling, if we if we are you know if we're decent or we finish mid table, then you know people will say what a great chairman and what a good job he's doing. It's just the way it goes, isn't it? It's everything's dictated by on the pitch. So hopefully the results go well and we'll we'll you know it'll buy him some breathing space because I I do want I do you know. Everyone wants the best for Phil at the club because we all benefit, you know, if things go well. So, you know, good luck, Phil, with with what's happening, and hopefully everything everything goes uh, goes as you want because he's had a rough ride, hasn't he, with with everything so far with with COVID, and you know, it's not it's not been easy, and I don't think he quite fully got what he was getting. You know, it didn't I think what he maybe expected he was buying probably wasn't quite what it was when he got there. So, you know, and he, he covers that in the interview, doesn't yeah. he? So, you know, yeah. but. Maybe he's um, maybe he's got his eyes open all around him now, and everything's uh, everything's good. So yeah, good, well, good interview. Good luck, Phil. Uh, the last real thing is he, he said he put uh, we put seven figure offers in for a midfielder and uh, Mipo, who we've got on loan as well, which was which was interesting. It, I don't think that means necessarily that cash is flush at Huddersfield Town, but it was good to see that we're potentially looking at spending decent amounts on players because I think that's been a criticism, hasn't it, that we've not been spending a lot of money. The the midfielder. I think there was the guy at MK Dons was linked and it was potentially that guy. I think it's David Kasumu, is it, from MK Dons? He was linked strongly on uh, around deadline day. Uh, so potentially it could have been him and and Meepo. And it's good that we're looking at these young players as well, uh, Pause because Sauber Thomas, I think people were kind of, where the recruitment team gets a lot of stick. And rightly, you know, when you look at Diakarbian and Benzer and, and whatnot, and may, well, maybe rightly, who knows? We never know the full story. But, you're starting to look now at your Josh Caromas, uh, Toflo, okay, is the Cowleys, wasn't he? But you're looking at Josh Caromas, Sorba Thomas, and hopefully Danny Grant comes through, et cetera, and, and Pippa. And you're thinking, do you know what? And, and Pippa, believe it or not, was a, a recruitment team signing. It wasn't, it didn't come from one of the Spanish guys, you know, Chicho or, or Jorge, you know, Jorge, they, they, you know, it was a recruitment team one. So credit where credit's due, you know, they are pulling some decent signings out now. And, you know, I think, Fans like us are getting more confidence back in the club buying players than maybe what they were. So, you know, being linked with these young players is quite exciting. I think I, I think I skated around that quite well there. Yeah, it's one of them. And again, with transfers, you're not going to win them all. You win some, you lose some. I think the, the main thing that annoyed everybody with, with previous recruitment that's not worked out is the money that was spent on them more than all else. If you mm-hmm. pay 500000 for Mbenza, nobody's as bothered as what they are. But because you spend... You know, well, value for money. Yorkshire, mate. Value for money. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Let's hope it. You know, that trend continues. But you've got to, you've got to wear that up. Even though, you know, if you look at the current squad, we've looked at. We've brought Dwayne Holmes in. We've brought Danny Ward in. We've brought in Jordan Rhodes, who you know haven't really done the right lot. So for every 
for every you know one that's good, there's always going to be one that's bad, and that's just that's just how yeah. It. I'm willing to I'm willing to give those guys time. I know Danny Ward and Dwayne haven't quite quite. I'm trying to find the right words. They haven't set light to the place yet, have they yet? But you know, I'll I'm I'm going to give them a little bit more time. I think before I completely write them off. Well, they've got a three year deal, so there's plenty of time for that. Yeah, yeah plenty of time to be written <laughs> off. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, there's like the, the the local guy, and you want them to do well, don't you? Because like I say, it always oh, benefits us. It's just. Yeah. It is frustrating, isn't it? And I don't think it's they're not in Benza situations whereby they're happy to just sort of sit and and do nothing for the money. The the guys do want to play and do want to work hard at. They're just circumstance or otherwise is just is just not showing them in the best. And and to be fair to Dwayne, he's not played in his proper position yet in more than two yeah, games in a row. So yeah, there you go. So, but I think that's all I've got really for this week. Have you guys got any other business that you want to uh, throw in there? Anyone you want to call out? Pause. Any whoppers or anything? No. No, mate, no, it's, no it's, it's getting late, you know, bedtime soon. So we'll <laughs> cool. leave it as that, mate. <laughs> yeah. So thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, get in touch with the football forum. We will try and make the show live again at, at some point. It's, it's down to me at the minute is that I've got to buy a new laptop essentially to, to do all that stuff. So leave that with me and hopefully we'll be back uh, as soon as possible. And uh, Blackpool, I don't think we're managing to get a uh, preview show out for Blackpool. So, why don't we do some predictions just to finish the show? How, how do you reckon we're going to get on at Blackpool, Simon? Had you asked me before Saturday, I was in confident of a, uh, a 2 0 win, but only because they beat Fulham and now things slightly differently. Uh, one all. Mm, I'm going one all as well. Pause. Are you going to make it a hat trick or do you fancy something else? Oh, I'm going to say, I think, I know this is going to sound really stupid, but if we're playing Blackpool on a Saturday, I'd be a little bit more confident of going for a win. I have this weird thing about midweek away games that we just, we just don't win. Um, <laughs> But yeah, looking at you know Blackpool, I'd, 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 you can't say I'd go and expect us to win because we're not at that level yet. But I'd take a draw. I'll, I'll go with two all or rather than one one just to be different. Just to be different. <laughs> well, four one would be nice, and you know four thousand town fans there. That was a yeah. 90, I don't know if you remember, Si, but pause, pause. You might remember ninety four, ninety five. This very first game of the season, the sun baking down. Right. Neil Warnock's side. Town went there. Ronnie Jepson got two, and Paul Reed, I think, got the other. Paul Reed get two as well. And, did, yeah. yeah, and that really kicked off a really sort of brilliant campaign. And that that's probably one really memorable game. Not so much Brian Potter on the scooter, you know, on the on the uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when the game got called off, but the four one there was, you know, a real standout game from from Blackpool. But yes, I think that's it for this week. So uh Cosy, hopefully, if he's not had too many pints, will bring you some live post match reaction from Blackpool. And uh, so, you know, here's to Cosy staying sober enough to deliver that for you guys and all the best. And we'll be back next, uh, next Monday morning. There's a team that is dear to its followers. Colours are bright, blue and white They're a team of renown They're the pride of the town And the game of football is their delight And all the while upon the field of play Thousands loudly cheer them on the way Often you can hear them say 
Who can beat the town today? And then the bells will ring so merrily, and every ghost shall be a memory. So town, play up and bring that car back to Huddersfield. So town, play up and bring the car. Back to Huddersfield. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal? Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.